Hey, if you got a Bible, turn with me to Philippians chapter number 4. Philippians chapter number 4 is our children make their way out. We're thankful for them. We pray God's blessings on them today as they hear the Word of God uh, taught today by Ms. Rhonda. We're thankful for her ministry, our preschool workers. I have them in my mind every single sermon. I have our preschools, especially those that are working with the three- and four-year-olds. If you've ever worked three- and four-year-olds at a church, uh, you know that a long sermon is totally unacceptable on a Sunday. I've been in the threes and fours. I know how they are. So having said that, let's jump into Philippians chapter number four. If you're new here, we are in a series where we are walking through the book of Philippians. Uh, The last two weeks I preached uh, the first three verses of chapter four. We've been in this series a long time, really kind of taking it section by section. I want to stay in this particular section of scripture today and next week and talk about worry and anxiety. Worry and anxiety, and so this is really part one of a two-part sermon, and so uh, I'm I'm very time-conscious. There's 52 sermons in a year. We don't have to preach everything in one sermon. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord, right? So having said that, let's read the Word of God together, Philippians chapter number 4. Look at verse 4 with us, please. Can we put that on the screen? Philippians 4, verse 4, where Paul writes, remember he's in prison, writing this group of Christians meeting in this city, uh, and Paul writes them, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. It's what we did in that last song, by the way singing hallelujah, worthy is the Lamb. We're rejoicing in the Lord. Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it again, rejoice always. Let your reasonableness, gentleness, King James, moderation, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. What a wonderful promise that is. You may think and believe and feel that the Lord is a million miles away, but the promise from the Word of God is that He is at hand. He is here. He is right in front of you. Well, I can't feel Him. That's on us. That's on us. Our feelings do not change the Word of God. The Word of God is what we stand on, and the Word says that the Lord is at hand. How could we escape from His presence anyway, right? He's too big. The Lord's so big, when he turns around, he bumps into himself. That's how big God is, right? Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. Not going to get to that, verse 6, wholeheartedly today. I was going to save a lot of that for next week. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And here's the promise, verse 7. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Lord God, help us to understand your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have you ever thought that you're going to lose your mind in life? If you have... I pray that this sermon is for you. Maybe you are on the verge of losing your sanity. I'm praying that this sermon is for you. And if you've never been there, brothers and sisters, you don't know what tomorrow holds. 
Or you could lose your sanity, your mind, very easily. A few years ago, I walked through a season where I was pastoring this church and losing my sanity. Ministry was the most difficult that I had ever experienced in my life. We were walking through COVID here. We couldn't see our people. And I got to find out just how much of an idol seeing growth in a church is in my life. And I got to see in my life personally just how much of an idol the idea of growing a church really is. And and that's the negative side, but I think the positive side in pastoring through that time period or, 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 or the positive spin on that idea was, as a pastor, how can I pastor a church that I don't see? This was a struggle. I preached to an empty room a lot of Sundays. The staff would be here. Sometimes the staff's families would be here. I was very thankful for, for those. Uh, our elders would be in here uh, uh, supporting their families. I'm thankful for them. But, but to pastor people that I never saw. And even when that time period came and went and we tried to work in, in the wisdom of the Lord there and, and, and understanding the times that which we were in, filtering in info around us, what to believe, what not to believe. We were in the same shape that you guys were in on, on understanding things. A lot of people didn't know what was going on with that sickness. And a lot of people even today downplay that sickness, but talk to any medical professional that worked in hospitals. I've never met one medical professional that downplayed COVID. Understanding all of that and hearing so many voices, even from you, was the hardest thing. Do we leave the church open? Do we close the church? What do we do? So many opinions. Prior to that, we walked through some staff turnover, a student pastor that we really loved in our congregation, our good friend of mine in the ministry. He left us to, to move on in life and to do other things, and, and I'm thankful for their time here, and there was no hard feelings there. It was just kind of a natural progression in Hunter and Corey's life and ministry just to, to leave us, and I, I, I accept that, and I'm, I'm proud for them thankful for the time that they were here, but you have no idea what kind of heartache staff turnover is, particularly good staff. Good staff are hard to find. Amen over here. <laughs> and even through all of that, Aaron and I began to sell our house, and that process sent me into a panic over issues in, in preparing our house to sell and and issues that we had to deal with there and, and, and getting things ready. And, and at, at one moment, I found myself even in a panic over selling our house. Uh, at the moment, our greatest financial asset became a burden that sent me into a turmoil in my spirit. I shielded a lot of that from you guys as I preached. I shielded a lot of this. All of this culminating together where I was on the verge of quitting because I was losing my mind. 
And I look back on this season, and that's what it was. It was a season. Be very careful to make life-altering decisions based off of a season in your life. Because you may be in wintertime, but spring always comes, right? And I look back on all of this time, and I read this passage, and in the moment, I couldn't rejoice, but I rejoice now. For he is the one who carried me through. He used you. He used you. He used many of you, many text messages, phone calls to carry me through, sometimes day to day, sometimes week to week, sometimes month to month, but he used many of you to carry me through. A dear woman heard me talking about my house. She heard the panic inside of me. She pulled me off to the side like a mother in the Lord is supposed to do to a man. And she pulled me off to the side, and with motherly wisdom, she looked at me and she says, Mike, Brother Mike, I believe that you have a stronghold in your mind. You need to do more prayer in your life. Changed my life for the moment. He used the staff around me. I can't tell you how much that I'm thankful for, for Justin Salter and, and Powers Tidmore and Brandon Tullis. I'm so proud of Brandon. He has, I don't know, 80-something people at the beach right now, 61 students. I'm so thankful for him and his ministry and him pouring into students. Imagine being a student pastor in those days where youth can't gather. A close friend of mine God used in my life, and probably the most important person in my life in those days that God used to carry me through was my wife, she stood beside me. She got me out of town on several uh, weekends and times. It encouraged me and loved me. God used all of those people in my life. Look at verse 4. I bring all of that to the table to say That when we are close to losing our mind, close to losing our sanity over the things in our life, Paul brings it back to the table and he's echoing the Old Testament here on so many different verses with this phrase, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. I may not can rejoice in my circumstances, but that's not what's being asked of me. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. And I confess to you, there were times where I was not rejoicing in the circumstances. And so I look at where my mind was, my sanity, my heart in those days. And, and, and knowing that I could be there tomorrow. And I look at those days and go, Lord, I'm sorry. Because that was an always time and I didn't rejoice. I didn't rejoice. This is a command from the Lord. Paul says rejoice in the Lord. The word rejoice is used 16 times in this letter. He echoes this same verse in, in Philippians chapter 3. Finally, brothers, verse 1, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. There it is again. He's echoing the Old Testament. The word rejoice is the Greek word Cairo. Cairo. And it is related to the word for grace, which is charis. And some of y'all 
know somebody who's been named grace. Or some of y'all may have this tattoo on your arm or something. This, this word grace, charis, is, is the word grace. And so really the word rejoice related to the word grace. And, and the idea is, is to delight in God's grace. To delight in God's grace. Paul uses this phrase several different times. To delight in God's grace. I think Paul is telling the church that you may not delight in your circumstances, but you can delight in the grace of God. I think Paul is talking to these sisters that are above in verses 2 and 3, Yodolia and Sintiki. We walked two weeks through their falling out sisters that I think love the Lord uh, and, and they've had this, this deep wound in their life. I think Paul's telling them, Get your mind right and rejoice. I think Paul is telling the the companion in verse 3 of the text. We didn't read verse 3 today, but we talked about verse 3, the companion. I think he's the pastor. Paul's telling the pastor, get these two women together to agree in the Lord. I think Paul is telling this pastor who's probably, I know what this is like, uh, oh Lord, you telling me you want me to get into the middle of these sisters in the church uh, to try to work that out? And, and, and Paul's like, yes, I, I am. And I, I know what it's like to be in his shoes going, oh Lord, I, I don't want to do that at all. And I think, I think Paul is telling the, the pastor here, hey, true companion, verse 3, loyal yoke fellow. Verse 3, when you get into the middle of the sisters and you don't know how this thing's going to work out, rejoice in the middle of it because you're standing in the will of God. I think Paul is telling us to rejoice in the Lord no matter what we're dealing with. And, and i got to be honest, it's extremely difficult to always rejoice. To rejoice when we're losing our sanity, when we're losing our mind here. To rejoice. Leaning on the grace of God becomes the defining characteristic of the believer. And I may not be happy in my circumstances, but to keep me from losing my sanity, I can trust that the Lord watches over me. Psalm 121 verse 1. Can we put Psalm 121 on the screen, please? Look, look at what Psalm 121 says. Uh, this has become go-to scripture for me, like Checks mix in a long car ride. I eat this up. I nourish my, my uh, th- this gets me through, through, the, through the, the road trip right here of life. I lift up my eyes to the hills from where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You know why the Bible's saying that my help comes from the Lord, the part who made heaven and earth? What is bigger, who is bigger than the Lord who made heaven and earth? Do you need help this morning? Our help comes from the Lord. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He ain't asleep in heaven. He knows right where you are. He knows right what you are going through. The Lord, I love this, verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right 
hand. He keeps us. He's got us hidden in his hand. He's got us hidden there and he holds us. He keeps us. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will, here it is again, keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. He watches over us. And then Psalm 23, this wonderful passage, Psalm 23, where the Lord is our shepherd. Lord is our shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. We are, a, we are a sheep that the shepherd is taking care of. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Notice that the sheep now is not talking about the shepherd, but he's talking to the shepherd. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The sheep is so taken care of. Even when the shepherd wants to move the sheep from a pasture that the sheep really loves. Sometimes the shepherd does that. Sometimes the shepherd moves the sheep from a pasture that they really love and never explains to the sheep why he's moving them. Guess what? The shepherd owes the sheep no explanation. The shepherd's just good in all that he does. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Some of you are about to lose your sanity because of people in your life that cannot stand you. And When you walk with the Lord and you trust in the Lord, uh, by the way, if you're not walking in the Lord and not trusting in the Lord, this verse is not for you. But if you're walking with the Lord and trusting in the Lord, even people that are your enemies, you walk before them and the Lord prepares supper in front of you and they watch you eat. This is what the Lord does in our life when we trust Him, when we are a sheep that is, that is okay with what the shepherd is doing. He anoints our head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy, they're the sheepdogs of the passage, shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. The shepherd takes care of the sheep. Can I ask you a question this morning? I don't care what you're going through, but are you rejoicing in the Lord? Somebody got woke up right there when I went. Ooh, another person got woke up. He's good. He hasn't failed you. Like Dr. Robert Smith Jr. preaches, God's sovereignty becomes my sanity. The Lord being in control is how I can put my head on the pillow at night. It ain't because this old boy's in control. Ten years pastoring this month, and I feel like we've grown in it, but oh my Lord, I'm still learning. Sometimes I don't think I know what I'm doing half the time. Some of you are shaking your head. I know we see it. But how do I put my head on the pillow at night? It's knowing that I try my best to serve God and I fall so short, but the Lord is the one who's in control. The Lord is the one that watches over my goings and my comings. The Lord is the one. And notice in the text, very quickly, I got to move on. We could stay there for a while. Verses 5 and 6, the command over our emotions to go to the Lord with our emotions, the command over our emotions, verses 5 and 6. Look at the text again. Look at what it says. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. This is the hardest thing to do. For when your circumstances 
don't seem to line up with how you've been living. Sometimes you feel like, hey, I've been living right. Why are these things happening? It's very easy to become bitter. It's very easy to become ugly. And what the Bible is telling us, Paul's commanding our emotions here to submit them to the Lord and, and to be gentle. The ESV uses the word reasonableness. Hang in here with me. This is good. The King James Version uses the word moderation. It's, it's really to be patient, to endure mistreatment at times, to endure maybe injustice at times, and then in, in return to the mistreatment, to be gentle and kind and not live in bitterness. The idea of our emotion is, is to overcome the, the, the heart that wants to be unkind, that wants to retaliate, that wants to be bitter. So the idea is, hey, be gentle in this. Be gentle in this. I think we need to calm down a little bit. Ever told your spouse, hey, calm down? That never works. I think I told Erin to calm down a couple of months ago, and she looked at me, and she had this uh, tone of a first-grade teacher, and she said, do not tell me to calm down. Sometimes we need to calm down a little bit. Ever been around someone that will send their food back over the slightest thing? Calm down. I know Christians who will get a manager at any store for any reason. Ever seen someone pitch a fit at the customer service at Walmart or Bessemer Courthouse? Calm down. You know when you go in the Bessemer Courthouse where you're going. You should have gone to the Shelby County Courthouse. And for the love of all that is good, if there's one more post on the Hueytown happenings about the Taco Bell in Hueytown, I am going to absolutely scream. You know when you go to Taco Bell in Hueytown what you're getting. You know it. Why are you complaining? You know it. When we think we have been the least bit slighted over something in the smallest of ways, we will pitch the biggest fit. I think what Paul is saying here, and those are very trivial examples, but I think what Paul is saying is is that when you get into the situation that you can't control, which is every one of them, by the way, To have some reasonableness about your mind. To calm down. To not panic. And as I read this from a pastoral perspective, uh, I can't help but think about this true companion. I'm sure this third party trying to get in the middle of these sisters, I'm sure that he's freaking out a little bit. I've been there. I know. I've fretted over these things and and I hear Paul speaking into his mind and saying, calm down, be gentle here. Don't be so panicked that you become ungodly. I think that's what Paul is saying here. Sometimes then even panic turns to worry. Look at what the text says. Uh, two, Two emotions here, gentleness 
And then the idea of anxiety and worry. So then we get into the idea of worry. Look at what the text says. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything but in everything. Here's your mind. Here's your mind coming into the anxiety that our mind brings, the worry that our mind brings about so many different things. Most of the time, my worry comes over conflict with people. This is why I think the text is teaching this. I, and I love the fact that we're dealing with this text in a season in our church where I don't know if there's conflict with anybody. The Bible's just training our church right now. It's just what it's doing. This is expository preaching. We're walking through the text. We're, we're not dealing with what's at hand. And so I'm on the front end of dealing with issues. So nobody in here thinks, oh, good grief, he's preaching right at me because he knows what's going on. I'm not. The Bible's dealing with, uh, with us on the front end of things. I, and I told you this a couple of weeks ago. My prayer is, is that maybe God is using the text to keep Union Hill in a wonderful place uh, where we're not complaining about trivial matters. Y'all know how many churches fall apart on the, uh, walking through a building project. We're going we're gonna to get into those issues coming up. Not today, but we're going to get into those issues coming up. And, and, and do y'all know how many churches split over trivial matters that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God? Paul is saying rejoice in the Lord. Let's walk together in this. Be gentle with one another. I think the Bible is training us right now. Uh, I, I, I look at this text and I see the idea to worry. The idea that we worry. That I bring my emotions to the Lord and that includes worry. Worry says, I don't trust you, God. That's why sin is at the heart of worry. Wonderful quote by Pastor Reverend A. Lewis Patterson of the Mount Corinth Missionary Baptist Church. Look at what uh, Pastor says. Worry is like filing a formal charge against God and accusing him of mismanagement. And so we, we begin to worry. Because I'm not in control, I don't know how this thing's going to turn out. And, and it brings me turmoil. And, and I think about it over and over and over again. And I lose sleep. And, and, and I realize that my money won't solve it. And I realize that my pedigree won't solve it. And I realize that I don't know someone who can solve it. And so I begin to, to, to work these things up in my head and begin to get into a panic over things that I can't fix. And the Bible is telling us when we get there to run to God. Run to God. Worry becomes the enemy of our faith. And when you look at the context of worry in verse 6, with the context of verse 4 of rejoice in the Lord, what you'll see is that worry and rejoicing cannot cohabitate in the same heart. Remember God's history, by the way. Remember God's history. Has He ever failed you? Has He really ever failed you? I mean, let's, let's think about it real good today. Is there anything in your life that you have that you can't credit God for? I mean, are you really that good? Think about it. I mean, all the stuff that you have, the stuff that you once had, the people in your life, the family that you have, the spouse that you have, are, do, do you really think that you're that good to give yourself credit for all of that? 
Has the Lord really failed you? I look at his history. He, he, he didn't fail Adam and Eve, even though they failed him. Abraham is the father of our faith, sinned and lied about his wife on two separate occasions. Abraham was as much of a sinner as anybody in here. Abraham was a liar. The Lord walked with him every step of the way. When I think about David, who fell into sexual sin, forced himself on a woman, uh, uh, brought her into his household, killed her husband, lied to cover it up, all of the, faced all the consequences of that. By the way, you go, wait a minute, he faced consequences? Absolutely. The Lord never turned his back on him, but he faced con- his family was messed up. He had an ugly, sinful family because he was a terrible father. Terrible. But all the way through the man's life, God proved himself to be faithful. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the prophets, the disciples. The disciples at the Last Supper, by the way, Jesus washing their feet. And as Jesus washes their feet, two of them are arguing who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Are you kidding me? They're squabbling like two little kids in Aaron's first grade class over who's going to get what's due them. And in John 13 verse 1, the Bible says, as Jesus is washing their feet, he's washing squabbling kids, spoiled kids' feet. Jesus is washing, and they're arguing in front of him. The Bible says in John 13 verse 1 that Jesus loved them to the uttermost. I mean, God's faithfulness. I mean, there's Mary at the cross. Jesus looks at John and says, Hey, John, that's your mom from now on. I mean, is there anything in the history of the Lord where he hasn't proven himself to be faithful? And then we get to the cross and we get to the resurrection that, that Jesus walked all of this out knowing just how sinful Mike Stevens would be, knowing all of it, knowing the sins, the thoughts, the things that I've done, the things that I'll do tomorrow, knowing all of that, and Jesus willingly goes to the cross and willingly rises from the grave in order to save me. Has God ever? Some of y'all better run a credit report on God. Check his score because the things you've prayed for, God has delivered on. You don't keep a prayer journal, do you? Some of you really think, God never answers my prayers. And you've been praying for years about things. No, you've just forgotten what God has answered. If you keep a prayer journal, you'll see that God says yes more than he says no. God has taken care of you because he loves you and because of his good, great name. Corey Ten Boom writes this. She's the Christian Holocaust survivor. Writes a book called The Hiding Place. It's absolutely my favorite book. I think I've read it, I don't know, six or seven times. It's about time to read it again. Corey Ten Boom, who loses everything but her faith, reminds us in order to realize the worth of the anchor, we need to feel the stress of the storm. Sometimes God allows us to go through the circumstances in order to know that He is our anchor in the midst of the storm. So what do we do? What do we do with our emotions? We praise and we pray. 
We praise and we pray. I, I, I told you that this has got to be a part two message, and, and, a, and a lot of this is, is going to be in part two. But when we praise, what we realize is that the worry flees. Worriers tend to be ungrateful worshipers, by the way. Worriers tend to not thank God for anything. Because at the heart of rejoicing is thanksgiving. You see that in verse 7, that we praise and we pray with thanksgiving. We present our supplication to the Lord, our petitions. We, and there's thanksgiving at the heart of that. When, when we worry, we take our eyes off of Jesus and what he's done and put our eyes on the circumstances trying to figure out how to fix things and it never works. We need God to move, and we need to trust God. Thanksgiving seems to leave. We tend to not remember what God has done for us. Please hear me this morning. You don't need a Sunday morning praise band to worship Jesus. You don't need a choir to worship Jesus. You don't need a worship pastor that plays a guitar, a worship pastor that plays the piano, or a worship pastor that stands up and directs like from 1975. You don't need any of those guys. To worship Jesus, you don't need a pastor. To worship Jesus, you don't need perfect church attendance. To worship Jesus, to, to get into a place of praise, you don't need any of this. You just need to run to God. You can run to God on Monday morning at 3 a.m., you can run to God at Friday night at 10, a, at 10 p.m. You can run to God at Sunday morning at 10.30. You can run to God in the middle of your day at your work, at your, at your desk. You can run to God while you're cutting grass on a lawnmower. You can run to God in the middle of, of a practice of a sport. You can run to God at any, you can run to God in the hospital room. You can run to God and begin to rejoice and praise Him anywhere where God sets your foot. You want to know why? Because God is everywhere. And the Word calls us to praise. I go to God and He begins to change my emotions. You remember, we're bringing our emotions to the Lord here. This is what Paul is telling. Bring your emotions to the Lord. And in spite of what I go, am going through, I can begin to delight in God. Praise is wonderful. It may not change what you're going through, but it'll change your attitude and how you go through it. And as I begin to praise and as I begin to pray and as I begin to thank God for what he's done, I begin to delight in the grace of the Lord and it becomes the defining factor of my life. Some folks can only have joy when life is good. You ever met folks like that? And when life is good, they have joy, but very rarely do those people ever connect that joy to God. But Christian folks understand that when no one loves me, when the car isn't brand new, when I'm walking through a battle at my job, when I'm not eating steak at Ruth's Chris, when the potatoes don't have gravy, when the bank account is not full, 
when my family is in chaos and turmoil. Christian folk understand that I can have joy even when life ain't good. Some of us can experience praise and joy and pray in the hardest of times when everything around us is falling apart. Some of us understand that true joy does not come from any of my circumstances or anything that the world brings, but true joy comes from the person of Jesus Christ, the one who has overcome on our behalf, the one who has saved us. I don't know what you're walking through in this place, but I got a feeling there's somebody on the verge of losing their mind, somebody on the verge of losing their sanity. And I'm just here to tell you as a testimony If you would trust in the Lord and run to Him and begin to rejoice, delight in His grace, think about what He has done for you. God will begin to walk you through your circumstances. He will bring you to the other side. Whatever that looks like, He will walk you through it. I want to close with some scripture. Invite Todd back up, Dylan back up to begin to lead us in some worship. I want to close with some scripture that is just so beautiful scripture. It comes out of Psalm chapter 32. Can we put that on the screen, please? Psalm 32. Let me turn there. This became Corey Ten Boom's scripture that she clung to. Psalm 32, starting in verse 4, we cling to the Word of God today. The Word of God says this, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. And then it gives this, stop right there, it gives this word, Selah. Nobody really knows what that means, by the way. Kind of an interpretation there could be, this could have been song, and this is a part of the, 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 the way to sing it, there's a pause here, a, a selah. I think the word is telling us to, to slow down. Whew, take a breath. The writer here is losing his mind. And this writer is losing his mind because of his sin, and he wants to take a breath. I... I, I I was about to lose everything, my sanity. Take a breath and praise. Sometimes, hey, sometimes praise and, and, and rejoicing, it's not, it ain't, it's not fake churchy stuff, going around and shaking hands and fake smiling, hey, I'm doing great, are you doing great, I'm doing great. Not, sometimes worship is this. Help me, Lord, right? Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And there it is again. Selah. Sit on it. A breath of praise. Verse 6, therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. There it is, right in the middle. The waters are rushing around us, but the Bible's saying that in the midst of the waters, they're not going to get into my mind, my soul, my heart. 
That's the promise of Philippians. He'll guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, here it is, Corey Ten Boom. In the middle of a concentration camp, how in the, I read Ellie Wazell's book called Night, a Jewish man in the middle of the concentration camp. He writes, how in the world can anybody believe in a God with so much suffering? And in the same or a similar concentration camp, Corey Ten Boom experiencing the same thing is echoing Psalm 32 verse 7. In the midst of my suffering and circumstances, she finds joy in verse 7. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with the shouts of deliverance. Who's shouting there? It ain't me. I guess it could be the church, but I think you know who the shouts of deliverance are that are surrounding me? I think it's heaven. I think heaven is cheering Mike Stevens on. Hey, I know COVID is terrible, Mike. I know that times are hard. I know your mind is jacked about things. I'm sending you people around you, but I'm cheering you on. It reminds me of Acts chapter 5 when Stephen's getting stoned. The Bible says that in the midst of his stoning, he looks up into the heavens and he sees the Son of Man not sitting on the throne, but Jesus stands up and looks down on him. And I think Jesus is going, well done, well done, sir, well done, my son. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, in the midst of our circumstances that are horrific at times, me and you both don't have to lose our mind. We can bring it to the Lord. And in the Lord, we can rejoice. Some of you know this. Some of you have experienced this over and over and over and over again. And if you're like me, you may walk through it again tomorrow and you're scratching your head thinking, why? What's going on? God, are you there? And God's going, I'll prove myself again to you. I'll prove myself again to you. I'll prove myself again to you. You will not exhaust the patience of God in your life. He will prove himself again to you. But can I just encourage you from, from a pastor's standpoint? Have faith and trust him. Trust him. The altar's open for anyone who needs prayer today. Maybe you're lost in here. You've never given your heart to Jesus Christ. You're living in sin. You're living in self. And the Lord has asked you to give it all up and forsake it all to chase Him and to love Him and to pursue Him. If that's you, would you run to Christ? He died for you, rose from the grave for you. Maybe you're in this place and you're walking through a situation where you're about to lose your sanity. Would you run to the Lord? You say, Mike, I have. Would you run to Him again? I mean, I can run to the Lord and give it to Him and before I leave out of prayer, pick it back up and take it away. Would you run to him again and give it to him? Would you trust him today? Would you trust him? The altar's open for anyone that needs prayer. Father God, would you bless our time today in invitation as the word has been preached? Would you bless our time? The Lord is good. The Lord is good.